Hello, Michael. Hello, Hava. Oh, my stars. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, now you're making me yawn. How dare you? It's a rainy day. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that autumnal rainy, rainy day feeling. That napalicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just stay wrapped up in a comforter feeling is, is permeating the atmosphere. It's really nice. So, Michael. Mm, yes, yes. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm fine. I have a kind of a silly story to tell you. Oh, great. So, yesterday, my parents visited. We had a nice autumnal day. They sat. We had tea. They brought us a loaf of bread from some bakery. Very tasty. And then we heard a noise in the stove. Oh. And there was an animal that was stuck in the wood stove. It had somehow gotten down the chimney and gotten into the wood stove. This is the second animal stuck in a wood stove that I've heard about in the last week. Really? Yeah, I had a student who showed up for my lesson and she had a bird stuck in her wood stove and she couldn't get it out and then it flew out in the middle of our lesson and was flying all around the house. Oh my God. Okay, well, we figured out it was also a bird in the wood stove. We detached the stove from the wall. We like moved the heavy stove over. We put like a bag over the exposed pipe. It wouldn't go anywhere. Then we realized it was like trapped in a weird particular chamber in the stove. And we were like mm-hmm. thinking about how to do it. Like, what are we going to do? At some point, we're like looking for the bird. It pops up. I see the bird. I get scared. The stove shifts. Oh, no. And um, there's a moving part in the stove, like a valve, and Mm -hmm. the valve closes on the bird. The bird is dead. The bird has died. Oh, no. Instantaneous, neck-snapped bird situation. It was very sad. So after all this hassle, like half an hour of like, what the hell are we going to do? My parents are helping. It's a very like intimate moment between girlfriend and parents, you know? Mm -hmm. After we've done all this work, the bird is now dead. I fish out the bird. It's a beautiful little blue bird. Perfect specimen. Mm -hmm. I bring it outside. I put it on a stone. I go back inside. And then we like, okay, well, we got to put the stove back on the wall and connect the pipe and the screws. So we do all that. That takes another 15 minutes. And then we're all just sitting there quietly, kind of silent, because we just like did all this stuff and this bird died. Uh-huh. My mom is just knitting at the table. The whole time she's been knitting at the table, occasionally like giving advice on what to do. And she just looks up and goes like, well, I believe it is time for us to go. <laughs> Grunge Girl well. starts laughing. And my mom's like, what's so funny? I don't get it. What's so funny? And Grunge Girl explains, like, well, you know, just, we're all just sitting here real quietly. We just had this big ordeal. And then you just kind of, like, very calmly just say, it is time to go. And then my mom starts laughing, too. (gasps) Wow. She understands. She comprehends. She's like, oh, I said something funny. I'm funny. (laughs) So... There you go. What a journey of a tale that was. I know. Talmudic in its absurdity. It it was nuts. Anyway, we are birdless. We have a working stove. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. Rest in peace, little bird. Um, Mm -hmm. 
How are you, Havel? Brooks, um, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, enjoying the sleepy, rainy day vibes. Just like preparing for a show Mala's class in Portland next month. Feeling really nervous about a big, long day of traveling and flying. What has happened in the past week? And my brain is just like a bit a blank, blank sheet of paper is in place of whatever happened in the last week. I mean, it was fine. Nothing bad happened in the last week. Did anything good happen? I had my normal teaching, normal life, normal cute dog, normal cute cat. You know, what more could a gal want? I accomplished some really big video game goals of mine. That's good. You know, like uh, achievements in video games that I've been working towards for like more than a year. Oh, what video game? Do I want to know? No, it doesn't matter. I'm just ha- I'm just happy to have gotten there. It's been a long journey. Another week of my boyfriend sweetly bringing me things after work. He brought me a pumpkin spice frosty from Wendy's, which was freaking delicious. He brought me McDonald's has like some kind of like pumpkin pie thing right now that was also freaking delicious. Are you trying to like taste all the fast food autumnal uh, products out there? I only wanted the pumpkin spice frosty because I heard it was really good. And then he just happened to, on his own initiative, go to McDonald's and get me a pumpkin pie. I think you should become a specialist in pumpkin fall flavor fast food reviews. Right. And then I can help people get deprogrammed from Starbucks pumpkin spice trauma. That's weird. You're addicting people and then you're helping them. It's like you're like a tobacco lobbyist who then goes and works <laughs> exactly. for like Exactly. What could go wrong? Yeah. Funny. Totally random. Fun fact, but it might not be a fact, so do your own research. (laughs) Random fun speculation. Random fun, maybe fact. Malcolm Gladwell used to be a tobacco lobbyist. Not surprising. Checks out. I know. I know. I know. I know. It checks out. It checks out. But, you know, that may or may not be true from a legal point of view. Right. Right. But yeah, stuff is good around here. I've been getting a little opportunity to study just like for fun and pleasure recently, which is something I haven't done in a while. So that's been nice. Just sinking into that hermity fall mode that we all know and love. So today I brought as a sort of a smorgasbord of stuff, but it is mostly about Gilgul, about reincarnation. I started out by looking for sources to continue our theme of gender that we've been doing recently mm, yeah. Um, for the past three years of this podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I found some interesting stuff about reincarnation and gender, and then I just spun off into this whole reincarnation rabbit hole, which I'm really interested in because I feel like reincarnation is one of those, like, it's like this Jewish cosmography that is completely valid, like has been held by many highly authoritative figures throughout Jewish history. But I still don't really think of it at a gut level as part of Judaism. Like, I think Christianity has sort of like totally taken over my views about the Jewish afterlife. Not even Christianity, but it's like I either think of Christian ideas or of sort of Judaism's vagueness, which we have explored several times on the show where Judaism's like, that. I don't know. It'll, we'll figure it out when we get there. Yeah, well, I think for a lot of things, Judaism is just, it's presented as vague. And it's a little frustrating because it'd be nice to know at least what the specifics of the vagueness are. Okay, it's vague, but just like give me what the range of 
opinions are it would be nice to know it's kind of not yeah. in the zeitgeist another thing is like at least with reincarnation you're right it's like that there's the christian kind of framework we all kind of are swimming in Mm-hmm. And then with reincarnation, I associate it so strongly with like imported like Hinduism, Buddhism kind mm-hmm. of ideas. I don't associate it with Judaism at all. all. Right. So let's just start out with this is like very related to our intellectual pegging episode, which was so wonderful about the halos, the gender halos and all that good stuff. This is what started me off on this whole journey. And we'll just go in order of how I discovered these things because it's sort of a collage of different like loosely related pieces, but this is from the Zohar and its commentary on Bereshit. Rabbi Shimon was journeying to Tiberias, and there were with him Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, and Rabbi Chia. While they were on the way, they saw Rabbi Pinchas coming to meet them, and after exchanging greetings, they all sat down under a great shady tree by the hillside. Then Rabbi Pinchas said, now that we're seated, please instruct me in the secret doctrine that you're teaching every day. So Rabbi Shimon said, it is written, and he went on his journeys from the south to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, which is uh, Genesis 13.3. And he explained, it says he went on his journeys instead of his journey. Why is that? There is a reference not only to his own journeying, but also to that of the Shekhinah, who always went with Jacob. And therefore, we learn that every person needs to be male and female at the same time. For the sake of his faith, he ought not think or imagine that the Shekhinah forsakes him in any way. See, it has been said a man ought to cleave to his wife that the Shekhinah may always be with him. Yet it is also possible to go alone on the journey and the Shekhinah will still be with him. And when doing so, he ought to direct his prayer to the Holy One that this may be. And in this way, male and female will always be associated in union with oneself. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Interesting parallels to what I said before. Mm -hmm. um, Interesting that now that the Shekhinah is always with you when you're traveling and maybe always with you all the time because we're always traveling, aren't we? Yet in the prior episode, I talked about the idea that like men don't have any Shekhinah. That's why they like Mm -hmm. go for the lady. So maybe we sometimes do or maybe Jacob is kind of a little bit special. (laughs) And we're trying to be special in the same way. Yeah, we're trying to be special in the same way. Yeah, I mean, there are clearly like a bunch of different schematics that different Kabbalistic works use to address this whole issue of internal genders and sort of like the spiritual vibes of genders. But what's actually sort of like fundamentally most interesting to me about this is just that both in your Halo piece and in this piece, it becomes really clear to me that this whole system of Judaism is accepting gender as sort of this like transcendent spiritual quality rather than sort of like a permanent immutable quality, right? Like the, uh, it's very non-essentialist. I mean, it's a little bit essentialist because it's all grounded in men and women and all that shit. But on a spiritual level, it's very just like, yeah, you have like different gender vibes that are with you at different times. And sometimes you need to put a different, gender on for spiritual reasons you need an additional portion of gender when you're going on a journey I, you're trying real hard right now hava and i appreciate that and i, <laughs> I see what you're I see, I see i really don't feel like i'm trying that hard okay okay well maybe i'm not am i convinced am i you're convinced? just resisting i'm resistant and resistant you know i'm not saying that they had some cool radical idea about gender i'm just saying they experience gender as having like a transcendent quality to it as having a non-essential element Mm. 
that feels like un, not debatable from this text. <laughs> that feels like the obvious reading. Yeah, yeah. Seems like they're implying that this sort of gender thing does not arise in like your genes and like your cells of your body. It's not it doesn't that's not the source of it. Yeah. I mean, we'll continue to explore this as we go on to the next source, but it feels like there's sort of two layers of gender like their sort of internal gender and then their sort of halachic obligation gender in this text, right? They're sort of like the person, the theoretical person going on a journey in this story is a man for all social intents and purposes, mm -hmm. but might have a rich inner gender life for spiritual reasons that incorporate much more than just man inside themselves. Or beside themselves, you know. Yeah, I only heard the bussy and besides, but... <laughs> okay, no, besides, besides. <laughs> Let's continue to the next source, which is Sha'ar Hagil Gulim, which is a 16th century Kabbalistic text, where we read, Sometimes a man may reincarnate in the body of a woman because of sin. This woman who has received the soul of a man will not be able to conceive and become pregnant. This woman will need great merit to enable her to become pregnant and give birth. The only way it can be done is that some other feminine soul must enter her as an ibur, which is like a beneficial possession, sort of similar but different to a dibik. However, she cannot give birth to sons for two reasons. The first is as follows. There's a verse that says, if a woman puts forth seed and a male child is born, Leviticus 12.2. In this case, the woman is a male just like her husband. She cannot give birth to boys, but only to girls. And the second reason is that the feminine soul that has entered her does only so as an ibur, in an attempt to help her become pregnant and give birth. Once this woman gives birth, that soul does not need to stay there any longer for any reason. At the time she gives birth, that feminine soul enters into the fetus as an actual Gilgul, as an actual reincarnation rather than a possession like it was at first. That is why the child that is born must be female and not male. So basically, Whoa. what what Chaim Vital is saying in Shar HaGilgulim is that sometimes someone can be reincarnated in a body that is a mismatch to their soul, and various spiritual antics can happen afterwards to achieve the desired outcome. Hmm. Which this is just like this is just like classic classic gender shenanigans yeah, yeah, in Talmud. Yeah. Presumably this can happen in male-bodied people too. Maybe it can, maybe it can't. But why would you even conceive of that being an issue? You know what I mean? Like what would cause? Right. Well, I didn't bring the specific text to explore this today, but there are quite a few important biblical figures who the rabbis understand to be having various gendered spirits basically causing them trouble. People who can't get pregnant or people who are just different from the norm in some way, who are major biblical figures, who the rabbis understand this to be happening with. And so that's why I think part of this comes up is because it's their explanation for why is there so much gender weirdness in the Torah. And one way the Kabbalists try to explain that is by saying, reincarnation shenanigans. Okay, okay, but is it always a problem from their perspective? I don't think it's always framed as a problem. I think it is always framed as a problem to normative reproduction. Oh, okay, okay. But like, do they use it as an explanation of why someone is like really great and why they were able to achieve what they were able to achieve? In the same way that we psychoanalyze like very, you know, certain people in order to understand how they were able to yeah, do Yeah, I mean, there's an interpretation of um, Isaac 
that he was born with a woman's soul incarnated in him because he was sort of replacing the Kabbalistic emanation that his mother Sarah was embodying in the world. And so in order to do that, he needed to have the same gender soul as her. Something like that. This whole cloud of weirdness, because like we're mixing together a bunch of ideas of gender right now, like yeah, our yeah, present yeah. day mainstream idea of gender, sort of cutting edge trans ideas of gender and 16th century ideas of gender plus Talmudic ideas of gender. Like we've all got that in this big soup. And rather than parsing out the exact details of each one, it's important to me to come back to that original point, which is just like, it feels interesting to me that there's this thread seemingly going through many generations in Judaism, both of reincarnation and also of seeing at least some component of gender as being like mutable, transcendent, transcending life and death. Yeah. Not only mutable at birth, but mutable within one's life as being something very different than the socially assigned model of gender that the mainstream society operates on today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Being yeah. much more complicated than that. Whether it's like good or bad or nice or mean, it is certainly much more strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I That's true. That's true. It is strange. And it has a lot more room for complicated gender outcomes. Wow. Okay. Okay. So that's the genderiest stuff. I read that and I was like, okay, that's all fine and dandy. But one, what's the deal with being reincarnated different gendered because of sin? I'm not sure I'm a fan of that. And two, just like reincarnation still feels so um, like I haven't fully internalized it into my model of Judaism. So I wanted to go find some foundational sources where people are sort of like, this is reincarnation. Like I'm staking my claim that reincarnation is real. So one source I went to was Derech Hashem, which is uh, another 16th century text by Moshe Chaim Lozado, classic rabbi of that era. And here's what he has to say about the soul, transmigration of the soul. Afflictions to a man from the reincarnation of a soul. There is yet another principle found in the direction of the matters of this world, and that is that the supreme wisdom has arranged to expand salvation more, as we have mentioned such that one soul comes into this world at various times in different bodies. And behold, through this, it may repair at a different time what it corrupted in a previous time, or perfect what it did not perfect. However, at the end of all the incarnations, in the judgment in the future to come, the trial will surely be regarding the soul according to all incarnations that it experienced and all the states in which it existed. And behold, it is possible that matters will occur to a person whose soul was reincarnated according to that which was caused to it from the angle of what it did in a previous incarnation. And the state of affairs in the world given to this man is according to this, and according to the condition that he is given will be the load incumbent upon him, as we mentioned earlier. But his judgment, may he be blessed, is exact upon each person according to what he is in all of his aspects, meaning on all of their various states. This is such that he will never burden a man in the world to come, which is true good, with guilt that he does not really have. Rather, what comes to him is from the load and assignment in this world, which the supreme wisdom distributed to him, and his actions are judged according to that. And see that there are many specific details found in this matter of reincarnation. How a man is judged according to what is his incarnation, and according to what proceeded in another incarnation, such that all is true according to justice and righteousness. And about this it is stated in Deuteronomy 32, the rocks act as perfect, and all of his ways are justice. And the creations do not have the knowledge that can absorb his thoughts, may his name be blessed, nor the depths of his counsel. We only know this principle 
like we know all the foundational principles, that one of the causes of people's occurrences in this world is reincarnation. According to the righteous statutes that were legislated in front of him, may he be blessed for the perfection of this entire matter. That whole last three sentences was honestly just gilding the lily saying like, and I am but a humble human and I understand nothing. So TLDR, summary version, first paragraph, Derek Hashim comes to tell us that we definitely get reincarnated. And not only do we get reincarnated, we get reincarnated for a reason. It is either to fix what we messed up in a past life or to finish what we weren't able to finish in a past life. And when we get judged in our sort of final test, final judgment, world to come, it takes into account all the incarnations. The second paragraph is basically just him saying, now that might sound weird because you can only remember what you did in this life. And so it might feel bad to be judged for all your other incarnations. But just trust me that God sort of like makes it all square and only gives you what you can handle and will never understand the math it takes to math all that out. Very interesting. Very cool. I'm for it. I have thought, and maybe I've already discussed this with you in the past, that actually it's it goes further in that not only are our souls reincarnated, but it's all just one soul. Like we're all the same soul being reincarnated. Right. It's all coming from a mega soul. Since there is only one soul, it's like, Javi, your life is my life. You're just somewhere in the reincarnation chain before or in front of of my position and the reincarnations can happen at the same time you know they don't happen in sequential time the way we perceive it i'm kind of about that i like that you know it's just a big giant soul line that just yeah i'm down with the soul daisy chain yeah thank you Uh, thank you soul daisy chain that's exactly (laughs) what i was looking for Soul cold jerk. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, episode title right there. Yeah, I like this text. It it accomplished what I was looking to accomplish, which is just like someone sort of setting down, like, "Hey, reincarnation is a foundational principle. Here's how it works and why," which is like a nice source to have on hand. But also the idea that we're sort of like our cycle of reincarnation ends only at the world to come, which I'm assuming he must be subscribing to a model of the world to come as sort of like sometime in the future, right? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of different models of how the world to come works, temporally speaking. Seems like he's subscribing to one where it's going to happen at some point, and that's when God will balance the books. Very different than models that consider reincarnation sort of like a cycle that we want to escape from, right? Which is a a big component of at least most forms of Buddhism that I know of, you know, is the idea that you want to break out of reincarnation. It's kind of something you're trying to ultimately avoid on a universal scale. And this one is just like, it's just a phenomenon of how life is, and it'll come to an end when it's its appropriate time. I do kind of like this particular, it's a phenomenon rather than you're trying to break out of it. I think there's something beautiful about you're being reincarnated because you need to do something. In a sense, you messed up, so you really don't want to be reincarnated. But really, what's really going to finish it is like the world. I guess I'm just thinking, I'm thinking like, it's not even that you specifically messed up, but just that like non-God beings are flawed And therefore, well, you know, it's sort of like Zeno's paradox, like you're always going to have some amount of sin, even if you get better each incarnation, you'll have like an infinitely reducing amount of sin that you have to keep coming back for, 
to fix up. Yeah, I guess like just the way that the Buddhism is presented to me, I have no idea what it's actually like, whatever that means in real life, whatever real life is, but it's presented in the Western lens like oh this is achievable in your lifetime like it's almost Mm -hmm. like uh you know you can like rise and grind but in a buddhist way instead of like in a yeah i mean that's definitely not the only way that that reincarnation is handled in buddhism there are definitely plenty of versions of it that view it as a multi-lifetime project but i get what you're saying that it's encouraging you to sort of like push yourself whether in a good way or bad to sort of like take care of business yeah 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 which i feel like is very appealing to uh us. the rising grinders yeah the rising grinders and um i'm trying to be less which we are not yeah i am not a rising grinder i am not a rising yeah. grinder so this kind of form of reincarnation seems right you know mm-hmm. and also just that approach to like living a good life as opposed to like I'm going to rise and grind and live a good life and do everything right and not mess up and take notes in my diary of, of goodness and badness, as opposed to this more like, I don't know, this I don't know if it's a Jewish thing or just maybe a vibe thing between you and me uh, of just like, do the good stuff, but also humans are fucked up and you have a sense of humor about it too. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I get what you're saying. There's there's a certain leniency baked into this version, the Jewish version. Yes, yes. Oh. Yeah. So for my final text, I wanted to bring a, a reincarnation hater, a reincarnation against camp person, which in a certain way just like, sort of like confirms to me reincarnations like naturalness in Judaism, right? right it would right, be right. more weird if there weren't someone hating on it. So this little text is from something called Sefer Ikarim, which is uh, written by Joseph Albo in 1425. He wrote this book, literally the book of principles or the book of roots as sort of like an alternative to Maimonides' 13 principles of faith. And he was uh, very notorious for omitting belief in the Messiah from those principles. So he didn't consider belief in the Messiah essential to Judaism, which I thought was quite interesting. But anyway, reputable guy, here's what he has to say. From this, the Kabbalists derived the doctrine of transmigration. Since the true opinion is, according to the Torah, so they argued, that the soul is not a material power, but an independent substance, as we said before, then just as the spiritual substance entered the human body when it is created, it is possible that after having functioned in one human body, it could return and live in another but this is not correct. While the divine wisdom did indeed decree that the spiritual substance, which is by nature not a free agent, should dwell in the human body in order so that it may become a free agent in the body, because this is no doubt a valuable quality, so much so that we are told by the rabbis that the angels made a mistake and wanted to worship man when God created him because he was a free agent and they were not. Nevertheless, why should a soul which has already functioned in a human body and has become a free agent return to the body again? And why should the seminal drop have the capacity to receive a soul which has already functioned in the body rather than to receive a soul which has not functioned in the body and is not a free agent? A still less likely view is that those who say human souls are transmigrated into the bodies of animals. Only God knows. A great way to end any paragraph is just like, subjects are change, only God knows. Take this with a grain of salt. He doesn't seem to have an argument that proves it against. He's just saying, well, souls, some people say they transmigrate. But like, why would they do that? 
you got to prove it. He's doing a smart thing where he's saying like, well, hey, look, you got to prove that. I mean, he does say, but this is not correct about transmigration. But yeah, his deal seems to be like the purpose of incarnation is for souls to gain the power of free agency, which they apparently can only have on the material plane. So if you incarnate again, you're line jumping another soul that was waiting to achieve its true purpose of material agency. I mean, that's assuming we got a backlog of souls. You know? Right. You know? I mean, I don't know that it's not true, but I sure don't know that it is true. <laughs> I don't like his argument. What is cool, though, is this idea that like there's this soul substance and it doesn't have agency until it's in a human. Mm-hmm. I mean, that does make sense to me because, like, I don't think the souls are choosing to be right. Although there are frameworks within within Jewish history where souls are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. Like your soul is already up there sort of like thinking about its plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Any way you can think of the afterlife or pre-life, some Jew out there has put it in an important book, probably. (laughs) I also like that he mentions at the very end, like, and don't try to get around this by thinking you can be incarnated to an animal, because that would be too silly. <laughs> That's just silly. I know, I know. Uh, now I'm uh, thinking about that bird that was killed in the stove. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it'll be incarnated into a, a turtle next. Whoa, whoa. You gotta work your way up the ladder, you know? Mm-mm. Wait, so just going back, you went from gender to reincarnation. What was the what was that turning point? Well, I started out with like we have to have the feminine and the masculine with us at all times because of that's how God wants it. And then I sort of jumped on to like sometimes you can get incarnated with different gender spirits inside you. And then I went on to like what are the foundational ideas about reincarnation, both for and against. So it's just sort of like a potpourri of both gender and reincarnation, mm, 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 mm. like okay. most of Judaism. Wow, Hava, wow. Reincarnation. I want more. I want more reincarnation now. <laughs> well, you'll get it eventually. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed this this uh, little journey. I hope our listeners enjoyed it as well. Don't forget to go sign up for a Shell Mollus class in Portland if you're able to. I'll put a link in the description. It's going to be dope. Don't forget to, you know, consider the origins of reincarnation and and various gendered spirits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we wish you all Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.